Top five heresies among American evangelicals. And then we will talk to Bruce House Connect from Focus on the Family about the lawsuits at Seattle Pacific University. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope that you are having a great day, Miss Sampson. How are you this fine fall Tuesday? I'm just wonderful, Mr. Fromm. Thank you for asking. (laughs) No, we we got a little bit of sickness in our house. So, you know, it's it's kind of that back to school season where everybody gets sick at first. But we're doing good, enjoying the fall weather. It's, you know, this morning. I think I told you this last week, but it happened again this morning. I turned the fire on because it was just like a little, just for a few minutes. It was a little chilly in my house and i want to just get a little warm it wasn't you know like i'm not going to keep the fire on all day kind of weather but i'm just telling you like i'm noting the drop in the temperature and i like it okay i'm good with that Uh, the fire might be a bit ambitious (laughs) but you know the funny thing is my husband yesterday kind of like made fun of me for you know having the fire on and having the air conditioning on at the same time and what am i doing with energy in our house and our bill's gonna go crazy and then i walked downstairs this morning and he was sitting by the fire and i was like wait a second <laughs> wait a it. second he did it. You, you you so anyway glad to have you with us today aubrey we're going to spend some time uh in just a little bit later this hour talking to somebody from focus on the family bruce house connect about uh, the religious freedom lawsuits and all that's going on at Seattle Pacific University. If you haven't heard that story, I would really encourage you to stay with us and join us because a lot of people think it's a, it's some bellwether kind of cases for what could be coming for a yeah, lot of people right. down the pike here. Schools, churches, businesses, organizations. So we'd encourage you to stay with us. But let's begin here, Aubrey. Um what was I right, let's just ask this. You were a fan of the podcast Serial, yes, right? I was like, telling you S E right. That is not cereal as in like that would be breakfast a good podcast food. too, by the way. That would also <laughs> mm-hmm. be a good podcast. Uh but we were kind of saying one of the first podcasts that people listened to, kind of true crime podcast, was the yeah, serial that podcast. Was, I mean, that was my first introduction to podcasts. I think I knew podcasts were a thing that existed in the world, but that was the first one where I was mm-hmm. like <gasps> And that one was edge on your edge of your seat because, you know, it seemed like yep. it was a real it was like an in real time investigative story. And it was kind of wild and it was kind of creepy. And it was yeah, I was so into cereal. Now, I did try to listen to cereal season two and I it kind of lost me. But I big fan yes, of that very, that. very first storyline with um uh, what you're gonna have to remind me of the guy's name. I should know it because it's like burned in my brain. His name, his name is Adnan, Adnan Syed. Yes, Adnan, and they would call him on the phone from prison. Yes, Adnan Syed. Yes. He was he was charged and eventually convicted of the murder of his former girlfriend in 1999 named uh, Hey Min right. Lee. And so the whole story is about this murder, and you listen to it. And you're going, man, it doesn't mm. add up. They're they're doing this investigative report, but then he's convicted. Right, you know, right. the police are like, nope, this is legit. All of it. He did it. He did it. And I remember getting to the end. I listened to it years later. I didn't listen to it okay. when Serial first came out, but I did listen to it. I went back and listened to it a couple of years ago. Of course, when I'm mowing right. the lawn or something. And uh, and I remember thinking to myself, 
Like he feels innocent to me, but there's ways that you can do a podcast to make him seem innocent. And in the end, I'm going to trust yes. that the judicial system more got so this than, right. More so than right? just like, like a random podcaster. Right. Right. Like a podcaster. And they, they did, did awesome work, work. But you're yes. like, you're like, yeah, but you're, you're relying a lot on his right. story. You're relying a lot on. But man, you listen to you it and you were like curious, like if if justice was actually served in that scenario, it definitely got you questioning. Uh, and so you might be thinking to yourself, a strange way to start your show today with a 2014 podcast about a 1999 murder. Well, here's why it's back out. Adnan Syed, after 23 years, was uh, his murder conviction was vacated no yesterday by way. a judge. I, I did not see that in the news, Brian. Wow. Yes, he was immediate re immediately released. Trial prosecutors, it was decided, did not properly turn over mm. evidence to defense lawyers that could have helped them show that somebody else killed wow. Lee. And evidence uncovered since the trial would have added, quote, substantial and significant probability that the result would have been different. Uh, prosecutor Bruce Feldman, uh, Becky Feldman, I'm sorry, said, quote, justice and fairness. This is the prosecutor called for Syed's convictions to be tossed. Wow. She went on to say the state has lost confidence in the integrity of this conviction and believes that it's in the interest of justice and fairness that his convictions be vacated. So he was released yesterday. His shackles were removed in the courtroom and Whoa. applause was let out. But Aubrey, the podcast was right in so the end. So this is... He was released after 20. Now, let me ask you years. something. His release, does that simply mean he's entitled to a new trial and we're starting over? Or does this mean innocent, done, you're free man? Do, you, do we know that? Uh, here you go. Finn, who is the prosecutor, gave, the judge, I mean, gave the state 30 days to decide whether to seek a new okay. trial or stop the case okay. altogether. Uh, so they have 30 days. Uh, uh, Baltimore City State Attorney Marilyn Mosby was hailing the judge decision when Syed stepped outside. But she did say this. We're not yet declaring Adnan Syed mm. innocent. We're declaring that in the interest of fairness and justice, he is entitled to a new trial. So it goes. It's kind of up in the air. OK, got it. Got it. Aubrey, it unner I, here. I'm a very yeah. black and white person. I kind of believe like fairness and this that. I get so unnerved in general when people have been wrongly imprisoned yeah. or in this case it appears to possibly be wrongly imprisoned for so long and then they come out and are like new i understand dna yeah. evidence new evidence but this time it seemed like the prosecutors did some shady stuff to make sure they got the case as opposed to like let's make sure we get this right uh i'll make two points about this first but the first point is this i wonder what you think it unnerves me so much that this kind of stuff happens. Well, it it uh, it is deeply unnerving because there's more and more and more of these stories where someone has been executed, by the way, or you know been imprisoned on the way to execution, and find out that the entire time they were innocent. And I think that is so disturbing because you expect that the justice system has done what it 
is meant to do. And I think what's disturbing for me, especially thinking about Heyman Lee and her precious family, like for them, 23 years, they've been sitting with the... I mean, I don't know that you ever find peace in a scenario like that, but at least an answer. Okay, we have an answer. The guy's in prison. I mean, this has to open up a whole new level of grieving. And if we feel unnerved, imagine the victim's family. And that to me is like, it, it, it's devastating all around. It's unnerving all around. So I agree yeah. with you. It is, it's a, it, it's shocking. Hopefully there's a new day coming and this is the sign of better yeah. justice, but Wow. Yeah, keep an eye on it. And actually, so you know, Serial said they're going to do an emergency podcast Ooh, later this week about that. this. But uh, the orig- the prosecutor's office is standing their ground right now. The people who originally prosecuted this, they said, we mm. handed over all of our files. We categorically okay. disagree with the decision that was just made to release him. They're standing by. The family, uh, you want to talk about blindsided. They were given 30 minutes advance notice that he was uh, being released can you imagine i mean i just my heart goes out to them aubrey you brought up the second point for me and i will just end it here and say this this is why i am so i am wholeheartedly against i totally agree with you brian it just is not uh i'm against it on theological terms but i'm also against it on very practical terms if there's ever a chance that innocent people are being killed we that system can't continue to exist and people disagree with that i know but oh man i that this type of thing fuels that for me so uh if you're a fan of the serial podcast or if you've never heard of it i'd encourage you go back and listen to the first season uh and that is this story uh and now you have the update we are especially grateful to be joined by bruce house connect He's the judicial analyst and a writer for Focus on the Family's Daily Citizen. By the way, you can listen to Focus on the Family. It airs weekdays here at 1130 a.m. right here on AM 1160. But we are thrilled to kind of pick Bruce's brain about everything that's going on at Seattle Pacific University right now. They're facing investigations and lawsuits for their stance on biblical sexuality. Bruce, before we dive in, thanks so much for being here with us. Well, thank you. It's good to be on with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role uh, before we dive into this topic? Oh, sure. I'm an attorney by training. I've been with Focus for over 17 years, and um, I opine and write about uh, matters that involve religious freedom, abortion, marriage, uh, anything having to do with uh, the law and those types of issues. So I've been doing that for quite a while, and Currently, I'm, I'm writing articles for The Daily Citizen, which is focused on the family's web-based news service. That's great. And Bruce, uh, this story specifically out of Seattle Pacific University, I've read some on it, but to be truthful, I don't know a ton about it. I'm sure a lot of listeners don't know a lot about it. So two questions. Can you give us the background to this story? And then more importantly, why does it matter? Sure. You know, Seattle Pacific was founded 130 years ago by the Free Methodists and has been a Christian university ever since, a liberal liberal arts uh, type of college. Uh, but they um, have always integrated the Christian faith into the teaching that goes on at that college, uh, maybe at least up until recent times. But there's a current board of uh, trustees now that is trying to uh, bring that school uh, back into more orthodox Christian beliefs and practice. 
and a group of students and faculty are objecting to that. And mm -hmm. as a result of that, the uh, university has been in, is being investigated by the attorney general of the state of Washington, Bob Ferguson, for violating that state's non-discrimination laws, especially as they regard sexual orientation. Mm. And that that caused the uh, the university to um, assert their rights in federal court by suing Ferguson uh, using the services of uh, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, which is a well-known uh, religious uh, organization of uh, full of attorneys defending the rights of, of institutions like Seattle Pacific. And ac after the investigation was announced, uh, a group of students and faculty are now suing the university as well, hmm. uh, claiming that somehow it's uh, attempt to reassert its uh, Christian beliefs about human sexuality and marriage have violated uh, some rights that the the board of trustees owes to its students and faculty. So that's that's the current lay of the land. Wow. And if, you know, for those of us who are not in the Seattle area kind of watching this happen, how should Christians be thinking about this? There's there's a couple of ways to think about this. First of all, you know, we were told um, that same-sex marriage was not going to affect Christians. You know, it was sold to us as harmless. Um, the question always has been, how is my gay marriage going to affect you? Well, that mm. was that, <clears throat> that turned out to result in the Supreme Court um, affirming same-sex marriage as a constitutional right in 2015. Well, you fast forward to 2022, and we're actually finding out some of the things that weren't true when those questions were asked. And, and <clears throat> the fight these days seems to be uh, trying to get Christian organizations, Christian schools, for example, to not only celebrate and affirm homosexuality, but uh, close their doors if they refuse to mm. uh, fall in line. And that's that's where Seattle Pacific finds itself, among other Christian universities all across the country. Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. This feels like this is kind of the first domino of many schools facing this. Uh, and so what next? Is this going to be something that gets all the way to the Supreme Court? What, what What's the process that you see going forward here? Yeah, I ultimately see this as a question of religious uh, organizations' autonomy. And hmm. so the Supreme Court has touched on hiring rights um, of religious organizations, religious schools in the past, and it's been very favorable concerning those. Okay. So I, I expect that there's going to be a lot of support in the courts for Seattle Pacific, but these are cases that are determined on a case-by-case -case basis. Defend, they all depend on the facts in each particular case hmm. until the Supreme Court can uh, articulate a more general principle under the First Amendment or under uh, some principle of, of Title VII, which involves employment law um, that protects religious institutions, I think we're going to have to watch these uh, uh, lawsuits go forward, unfortunately. And, and yeah. as we've seen in the past, they can take years. Mm. And Bruce, do you know, speaking of lawsuits and other cases like these, do you know right now of any other universities, organizations, Christians or otherwise that are facing something similar? Well, yes. 
as we speak, Yeshiva University, which is an Orthodox um, Jewish university in New York City, is facing a, a pressure from uh, an LGBT club there to officially recognize it. And Yeshiva has pushed back saying, look, this goes against the Torah and official yeah. uh, school policies. And the courts in New York have said, no, you have to recognize this group. It went all the way to the Supreme Court on an emergency petition just last week and was wow. turned down. The, the, the Supreme Court said, sorry, we can't protect your rights, Yeshiva. Uh, because hmm. you, you still have more things to do in courts in, in the courts in New York. Well, Yeshiva is asserting its rights uh, ultimately by closing down all of its student club activities until, until it can get the courts to see, uh, wow. see its, uh, see their way clear to protecting their religious freedom. That, that fight on behalf of Yeshiva University is going to impact all Christian universities as well. Hmm. Wow. Bruce, let me ask you just a kind of a big picture question. We use the phrase a lot, and you have a lot, the phrase religious freedom. Um, this might seem obvious, but could you help our people understand why this matters, why Good this question. is such a big deal right now? Yeah, the United States would not exist as a, as a republic, as a representative democracy, unless our very first freedom wasn't the freedom of religion. Unless you have the freedom to debate and act on who you believe is in charge of the universe, you will not come up with a moral system that undergirds your political system. And mm. the founders understood that. Um, I think it was John Adams who said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly unsuited to the governance of any other. That's the way our country was founded on. And it's religious freedom that is the glue, the moral basis that holds this political system together. Oh, it's been so helpful to hear from you, Bruce. Where can our listeners connect with you, find more that you're writing about and find more about some of these stories around religious freedom? Sure. We are uh, the, the uh, dailycitizen.org. Or you can find us on the homepage of FocusOnTheFamily.com. Both, both places you should be able to locate right. us. That's fantastic. Again, Bruce House Connect is the judicial analyst and writer for Focus on the Family's Daily Citizen. Focus on the Family airs weekdays right here on our station, 1130 a.m. every single weekday morning, right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Bruce, it has been fantastic to have you with us. Thank you so much for all you're Thanks, doing. Bruce. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, Aubrey, a fascinating survey, a study called the State of Theology Survey uh, was released Monday by, uh, I always get this wrong. So it's Lifeway Research and Ligonier. Is that how we say that? Oh, I, They so, were always tied with, uh, they were founded by R.C. Sproul, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. I it was like Legionnaire, but you're maybe, anyway. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know, but R.C. Sproul. Uh, founded it many years ago, uh, and this survey was um, troublesome. Some of the findings in this survey, we should say, were troublesome. So Christianity Today took this huge survey and distilled it down a little bit. You remember growing up and you'd get cliff notes, yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, and uh, which is now all cliff notes are. We just call that Google now. We just call that <laughs> the internet. Right. Uh, but 
But uh, Christianity Today did this. It says this, the top five heresies among American evangelicals. So let me read some of these. Okay. Uh, We'll take them one by one. And I would like you to ask, uh, or maybe you and I can discuss, why are these troublesome? Are they troublesome? So it says, overall, adults in the U.S. are moving away from orthodox understanding of God and his word year after year. Uh, and so it talks about scripture. And so here's the first one. It says, Jesus isn't the only way to God. Hmm. More than half, 56% of evangelical respondents affirm that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's 56%. That is up from 42%. In 2022. And while the question doesn't include all religions, it indicates a bent towards universalism, Mm -hmm. believing that there are ways to bypass Jesus in our approach to the acceptance of God. Talk talk to me about that one. 14% jump in two years. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm not surprised that this is a heresy people believe, but I am surprised that the scale is what it is. Over over 50% of evangelical Christians believing that Jesus is not the only way to God. Um, I think that's, that's pretty shocking to be honest. Um, You know, here's why I think it's problematic. Like I think it is, I think it is actually wonderful and good to, to find things in other religions that are Mm -hmm. interesting, beautiful, et cetera. The problem is anytime it's anti-gospel, that's when it's heresy, right? So anytime it goes against Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And even the God of the Old Testament just affirming again and again that he is the one God, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. it's um, it, it it's heretical because it's outside of the bounds of Christianity, outside of the bounds of the word of God, outside of the bounds of Orthodox Christianity. And it's worrisome to me that even Christians haven't sorted sorted their Christology in yes. such a way that Jesus is the Savior of the, the way, world. The truth and the life. Yeah, yes. that that's yes. pretty disturbing. And it it then turns that it removes the need for things that we talked about, like evangelism. Yeah, right. Like you and I spend a lot of talking time talking about what's the right way to do evangelism. Right. But this goes back even further and says. Do you even do evangelism at all? Yeah. And does it even matter? Yeah. So that's number one. Okay. Number two, Jesus was created by God. Yeah. A surprising 73% mm. of people mm. surveyed agreed with the following yeah. statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being being created by God. And they go on to say this is a form of Arianism, a popular heresy that arose in the early fourth century. Those believing it caused such a stir that it led to the gathering of the very first ecumenical council of church leaders. Out of the Council of Nicaea came the Nicene Creed, which states in part that Jesus was, quote, not made, but, quote, eternally begotten and, quote, one in being with the Father, Uh, Go ahead with this one. Yeah, I think what's difficult about this is I've actually seen this a lot lately, so I'm not surprised to see this on the list. I think people are confusing Mm -hmm. uh, being born, like the incarnation, because it does matter that Jesus was born with human flesh. Like that's a very important part of our Christology. Um, They're confusing being born with being created. And Mm -hmm. so in one sense, I don't want to downplay it. In one sense, this but might you understand it. Yeah, like this might not be this might be a semantics issue and not necessarily a heretical issue. But let's say people truly believe 
Jesus was created and, and hasn't existed in eternality, then again, I think this is just where like the church has got to get better at, I'm using the same phrase, but like sorting our Christology so that we don't begin to have distorted images of who Jesus is, because that's yes. when we begin to get really like, I mean, from there, the the long run of that is really like deviant expressions of the church who begin to say, well, if Jesus was created, then so is this person. And this person is the incarnated version of yep. God. And so it, this other created thing has as much weight as Jesus does. And so you can see the trajectory of it um, going really, really, really poorly, uh, except I, I'm hopeful that this is simply a semantics issue. And we can, yeah. we just need to explain what we mean when we're saying Jesus was incarnate. Jesus was incarnated, born in history is not the same as like being made for the first time. Yeah. I, I would like to think you're right, but number three is going to give you a little pause. <laughs> number three here is this. Uh, Jesus is not God. Uh, Given the above beliefs on Jesus, the ones you just discussed, mm -hmm. as a created being, yeah, it's not okay. surprising maybe okay. that 43% affirm that, quote, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Mm. This one feels really – now we're getting into a, a high danger here. Yeah, I'm, I agree. I mean, this is – yeah, obviously this is – I don't want to say it's heresy at its worst, but certainly for saying Jesus is not God, we are not in Christianity anymore, period. Right. You know what I mean? And so I, I think just to say Jesus was another teacher, another spiritual leader, you are no longer within the bounds of the Christian faith. Yep. And so it's, it, you're right. I guess maybe I was being a little too naive because this is, this becomes more and more problematic. This is obviously. the red flag. Yeah, I think number yeah. two was a bit of a yellow flag because yeah. you said there's ways to understand it. Yeah. Uh, this one, by the way, was 30% in 2018, 30% in 2020, 43% wow. in 2022. Hmm. The last two, let me just group the last two. Okay. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. 60% of evangelicals surveyed uh, had hmm. confusion about the Holy Spirit, okay. believing, quote, the Holy Spirit is a force, uh, but is not a personal being. I think this one speaks to just general confusion about the Holy Spirit and mystery yeah. and lack of teaching, quite frankly, on the nature of who the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is where we, this is why it's beautiful that we have global expression of churches or even other denominations, because there are some denominations, I think the Pentecostals, who mm -hmm. have more of a personal relationship with the Spirit of God and get this in a way that sometimes the evangelical sort of non-denominational Protestant church doesn't. And so I think this is an area where we can, like, you know, if it, God talks about himself being multifaceted in his glory, uh, different expressions of the church bring to the table different facets of God's goodness. And so if right. other churches, I think, as we work together and commune together and have a relationship together, we can begin to understand the three in oneness. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the love of the triune God, which means the spirit is a person, not a force. But that is, it is confusing. I mean, this, that's right. You know, like, the Holy Spirit is confusing. Let's, for, let's be just honest about that, that we need, we need to know the spirit better to understand the spirit's personal presence. Good point. Good point. And the last one, 57% uh, of the people agreed in the survey to the following statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Uh, so they took this heresy to be humans aren't sinful 
by nature. Good old you used a great phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And you used a great phrase before. When we get this wrong, we're, we're, we're working against the gospel. Part of the gospel is the bad news of yeah. sin. Right. Right. Uh, and so this one is problematic as well. Yeah, and this is good. I mean, sometimes I feel like we all have a little bit, especially at the American West, we're all a little bit uh, like little Pelagiuses, like Pelagian. <laughs> like Pelagius believed that we were born without sin. We Every single person is born in the same place as Adam before sin, and therefore we have a choice throughout our lives. Do we choose sin or do we choose godliness? And he's really famous because Augustine stood against him like, no, 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 no. We cannot like save ourselves by our bootstraps. We need Jesus. But I think especially in the American West where we do believe we can save ourselves and we can make a name for ourselves and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I think a lot of us are really, really tempted to fall um, prey to Pelagianism and so it's it's worth, I think, those of us who are in discipleship, in church leadership, reminding people, not that you want to be like, you're sinful all the time. I think that can go too far. But reminding people like, you need Jesus to save you. We can't do this on That's our right. own. That's right. So that is an interesting look at the state of theology, the state of the evangelical church. And there's some trends here that are really scary. If you're a church leader out there, a pastor, whatever, uh, there's some teaching that needs to yeah, be done. Yeah. yeah, there's some teaching that needs to be done. Brian, I don't know if you have seen kind of the wild things happening around the world. Super typhoon. Oh, man. I mean, Japan just hit so hard. I think it's 9 million people having to evacuate or at least being told to evacuate as the super typhoon hits there. And then I actually have a friend who lives in the DR. She and I were texting yesterday uh, Hurricane Fiona has hit Puerto Rico, hit the DR, causing territory-wide blackouts. She said they're okay, but tons and tons of water. And then they're worried about, of course, being able to access food and water and other things that they need. Puerto Rico, their their uh, electricity went completely out of service. And I mean, that country has been hit hard over the past several years. And yes. so it is just like, um, what did they say? Five years to the day of, <gasps> I think it was Hurricane Maria, maybe, uh, or one of the Puerto Rico, a huge hurricane. Five years to the day, and yeah, you saw that flooding yesterday. Oh, uh, devastating! It's, it's just amazing. It I is, didn't realize it, it was five years to the day. I did not realize that. Oh wow! When I was watching this morning on the Today Show, they said at at that point um, this morning, only eleven percent of the island of Puerto Rico had electricity. Uh, so it really did, did like damage to the uh, to the electrical grid um, uh, and to just power. And you start to do that. You start to be like, all right, this is a small island. It's just crazy. It's really sad. And, and yeah. hopefully uh, they're able to rebuild quickly. But, yeah, really, um, really sad to see. Yeah, it's it's always really sad to see. And I, I think, Brian, what what tends to happen is I I notice people go on social media and begin to give their kind of takes theologically on what's happening in natural disasters. And I, I feel like I see sort of two, I'm being maybe a little bit overly um, sim simplistic here, but sort of two categories of thought. 
One is that this is um, just the result of the evil and brokenness in the world. Like that sin mm. is a bitter, ca- a bigger category than our personal sin, that it even infects, affects our national weather system. And so this is kind of evil at work uh, would be an extension of that thought. And that ultimately God has authority over evil, but these things do happen while we're in the already not yet. That's sort of one mm. camp. And then there's another camp that says this is God's kind of divine justice act. God allowed and maybe did this on purpose. I think that one's harder to swallow, but certainly it's a it's a very um uh I want to say popular point of view about like the sovereignty of God. So where where do you land, Brian? Or I don't even know if you can land anywhere on natural disasters because it's sort of in the category of the problem of evil. Yeah. But I guess the question is like, where is God in natural disasters and how should Christians respond? Cause let me say this before you answer. Yeah. I, I don't like to rush to like a, a debate about theodicy when people are hurting. I think it's mm. very insensitive. And so here I am doing that with you. <laughs> like, uh, but I do think part of it is like, we need to stop and just be aware that people are hurting and let's, Let's not try to philosophically solve the problem of evil. Let's get on the ground and help people as best as we can. And yet still there's a question of what in the world, how do we make sense of natural disasters, this type of kind of terrible tragedy with God? Right, right. And I think uh, it's good what you say about, you know, don't just jump. There's people hurting, right? So you don't want to just take away the personal. With that said, I would say the problem of natural disasters is the same as the problem of cancer. It's Mm. the same as the problem of uh, insert your tragedy. Um, And a couple things come to mind because this is what derails people's faith. Yeah, it is. Right. Like this is what derails it. And part of the reason it derails it is because we've given people way too flimsy of a, of a theology of suffering, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Uh, people go, wait a minute, I signed up for this Christianity thing mm-hmm. and now I have can't like I I thought everything was going to be good, you know, and they, there's this um you know this idea that we give people, hey, become a Christian and your life will be filled with right, joy right, and happiness. Right. And then troubles come and that gets blown up and this and that. Um a couple different things. I think you said the correct thing. I think the problem or the the struggle of natural disasters or of disease or everything does get traced back to the brokenness of sin. Yeah. We live in a broken and sinful world that that thankfully Jesus has defeated uh, and there is victory. Could God this is what becomes difficult Aubrey. Could God stop it tomorrow? Right. right. The, we have to be honest and say yes. Right. Like, so when you said people get uncomfortable, when you said, does God in some way allow this? The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the, res, the, the, the root of it is broken, sinful. Yeah. Uh, it's the result of sin and broken. It's that already not yeah. yet that we talk about often, but God does promise to be present in it. He doesn't sit back and go, take a typhoon and mm. just sit back and take, God is present. Uh, he is bringing comfort. Uh, and then ultimately, we hold on to the victory of Jesus Christ, that while we live in the already not yet, there is coming a day yeah. where there won't be typhoons and hurricanes and cancer and all of this stuff. And so we hold on to his presence and we hold on to yeah. his victory. But that becomes difficult. We want to say, if God could have stopped the typhoon, why didn't God stop the typhoon? And the 
what we have to do is point people to there is coming a day where there will be no more typhoons. Right, uh, right, and right. Talk about sin and talk about the gospel. Mm. And so I, I hope that's helpful. Sometimes we we feel like we can't we can't admit that like yo no no God knows there's typhoons. Right. Like he wasn't caught by surprise. Like, right. What? I, right. I didn't tune into right. Al Roker this morning and see that this was coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, yeah. Puerto Rico. Like, but but we need a bigger picture of what's going on eternally versus just in our snapshot right now. It is complicated because you don't ever want to get in a place where you feel like you sort of limited sinful human are are like defending God. And sometimes right. I feel like that's what these arguments do is like we're trying to sort of excuse or defend God. And I do think some of it is what you said, stepping back and realizing like there's an eternal perspective that God has that obviously humanity does not have. And some of this is is sort of the ask of faith to go, okay, God, I don't understand it. From my perspective, I certainly wish it was different, but I have to trust that you are over and above all of yes. these things. You know better. You've got a long game in mind that is only for our good and your glory, that that you love this earth and you love its people. You don't hate it. And so like, you have to put your sort of everything you know about God to be true and faith together in times like these. And I think just right. lean into like... It's okay to say this is hard and complicated. It's confusing, but I don't. I mean, what does Job say? Like, ah, okay, you're God and I'm not. You know, like when Job sees the the power that God has, and I, I think at the end of the day, you sort of have to rest in that. But what we, I, I, I think I said this a while ago, Brian, to you, even on the show. But um, someone reminded me of Gary Haugen's quote. He's the international justice mission mm -hmm. guy. And that he said, I've stopped asking, where is God? And I've started asking, where are God's people? And oh, I, I ultimately think if we can sort of get out of the debate about why this happened, where is God in it, but instead go, how can I help? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus? How can I, how can I rush in with best practices and love people that are on the ground hurting right now? Ultimately, then the, the answer to people's question, where is God, is like, oh, God's here in his church and we're doing what we're supposed to do in seasons Absolutely. Seasons like this. Anyway, praying for Puerto Rico, praying for the Dominican Republic, certainly praying for Japan during this season. Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined again by Alan Jackson. Uh, pastor Alan is the pastor of World Outreach Church in Tennessee, and he's also the host of Alan Jackson Ministries, which airs weekdays at 6 a.m. right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. And as if he's not doing enough, he is also the author of a new <laughs> book called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. Alan, great to have you back. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to be with you and Aubrey again. Yeah, it's wonderful so to have, glad you, to have you. And this book that you wrote, Big Trouble Ahead, I couldn't think of a more timely book to be written by all that we're feeling, all that's going on in our world. So let's start big picture. Uh, what caused you? Why did you choose to write a book on this subject at this time? Well, it really started with COVID when we got that message that if we'd go home for two weeks, we could flatten the curve and go back to normal. <laughs> I got to the end of two weeks and normal was gone. Yeah. And I began to wake up kind of day over day that there was a lot more trouble ahead and it was going to extend far beyond COVID. And now we're 30 months into it. COVID doesn't seem like such a threat, but lawlessness and violence and the economy. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. 
and we need not to be, you know, the goal isn't to ignore it or to deny it. The goal is to understand how to flourish in the midst of this. And that's really the purpose of this book, to give God's people a way to flourish and not be filled with fear. Oh, I think that's such an important message for such a time as this. And, you know, I don't want you to give away all the content of your book because we want people to go ahead and buy it again. It's called Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. But Pastor Jackson, we would love to hear from you. What are some ways we can begin moving away from fear and towards flourishing, even while it feels like there's so much chaos around us? Yeah, that's such an important question. I think there's two or three components we've got to think about. One is your focus. Don't spend three hours a day listening to the media or chasing your favorite conspiracy down on the Internet. Mm. It's too much. It'll overwhelm you. You know, 10 mm. minutes a day, and you can pretty much get the summary of the news cycle. It will get repeated ad nauseum, but that's about it. For the last 10 days, the Queen of England died. That's the story. Right, right. You know, so, and spend the balance of that time. With the God perspective, either with your friends that have a God perspective, talking about what you see God doing, or with your Bible, or with the devotional, you've got to have a way to take input that turns your attention away from the things that are being shaken around us, because there are frightening things happening. We have open borders, our economy spiraling out of control, our leaders are spending money like they don't understand it belongs to us. There's censorship and propaganda. There's immorality. We are mutilating our children in the name of confusion. You know, mm. Mingle did that, and we called it a war crime, and we're embracing it as if it's somehow socially appropriate and it's ungodly. Mm. If you look at all of those things, you'll be filled with anxiety, frustration. If we can turn our heart to the Lord, I see people choosing God with a determination and an enthusiasm I haven't seen in decades. So first of all, pay attention to what you're focusing on. Spend some time with the Word of God. Spend some time every day saying thank you. We are the most blessed people on the planet, and we're the most ungrateful. Mm. We have so much stuff we have to rent spaces to keep it in. We have so much food, there's too much of us. We have so many friends, we have to have a social media system to keep up with them. <laughs> we are goofy blessed, and yet we refuse to be content. So start on a daily basis saying thank you. It'll change your perspective. Mm. If you'll just pick up those two things and begin to practice them with diligence, it will change your emotions, it will change your out- outlook, it will change the pattern of your day. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's such a good word. Again, the book is Big Trouble Ahead. I also want you to know if you go to 1160hope.com, uh, you can enter to win a uh, an iPad Air that is loaded with ministry resources from Pastor Alan Jackson. And every time you enter, it includes a free download of the first chapter of the book we're talking about here. So go to 1160hope.com uh, and enter. You can enter every day, and there's just really good stuff there. Uh, Alan, you said something interesting you said i've uh, in the midst of this chaos you're seeing people turn either to god for the first time back to god uh, that might be counterintuitive for some people like mm. it might be like hey it's chaotic out there god's not in control i'm going to just turn my back on him and not bother with this whole faith thing I totally agree with you that people are turning back, but why do you think in the midst of chaos, people are turning back to God or to him for the first time? Well, I think there's an awakening that's taking place. And I I meet people on a regular daily basis, and I've been traveling some doing pastor's conferences um, for Salem. And I'm I'm seeing it across the country. There's a group of people who are awakening to God in ways they never have before. And then on the other side of the ledger, there's a group of people that have used the, the COVID chaos to introduce kind of a lethargy. It it Mm. brought a selfishness and a self-absorption to our lives under the the guise of self-protection. You know, we sheltered in place. 
And so now they've withdrawn from church and they've withdrawn from, they don't want to go back to the office to work. And yeah. so there, there's kind of that overall lethargy that has settled upon us. So for those listening, if you're in, which, which camp are you in? Are you leaning in towards the Lord, making greater efforts? Mm. Have you scaled back and you're looking for more, you know, selfish pursuits? It's an important time for a little self-evaluation. Mm. But I see hundreds of people on a weekly basis driving greater distances than I've ever seen to be a part of our local congregation. It's an exciting time to serve the Lord. Wow. Oh, so awesome. And Pastor Jackson, I'm thinking of our listener right now who they may feel overwhelmed by fear and uncertainty. Can you just pastor shepherd our listeners for a minute? What can we know and trust about God, even when it feels like things around us are uncertain? Absolutely. Psalm 37 verse one says, do not fret because of those who do evil. And that's a pretty simple instruction. So I think we've got to decide we're not going to be anxious about evil. Evil exists in the world. It's more visible these days in some respects. But I choose not to be anxious about it. I'm going to turn my attention to the Lord. There's nothing happening in our world that has caught God off guard. Mm. There's nothing he sees emerging in our world that causes him to look over at the archangels and go, I'm not sure we can handle this. This is not the first time that God's people have wandered into the weeds. And if we will humble ourselves and turn to him, God will bring deliverance to our lives. He will meet the needs of our lives. He'll make a pathway through the chaos. We have unfortunately had kind of an escape theology that when things got really bad, a trumpet would blow and we'd get airlifted out of here. Mm. I believe in the rapture, but I don't want to hold that as my plan for the future. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The confidence trust in God that says he will lead me through no matter what turmoil comes. He'll make a way through the Red Sea. He'll bring manna to the desert. He'll feed us with the ravens if he has to. God cares for his people. Amen. Amen. Such a good word. Let me import, uh, get people to go to 1160hope.com. And there, again, you can enter to win an iPad Air loaded with ministry resources from Pastor Alan Jackson. Like, I'm just sitting here listening to him, Aubrey, and sometimes I forget to ask questions because I'm like, yes, I just want to hear more. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> and so go there. You can enter every day. Uh, and with each entry, you get a free download of the first chapter of the book we're talking here about, Big Trouble Ahead. And we'd encourage you to go pick up the book, Big Trouble Ahead, a real plan for flourishing in a time of fear and deception. And then also, Alan Jackson Ministries is can be heard weekdays at 6 a.m. every weekday here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That's 6 a.m. every weekday here on AM 1160. Alan, it's always wonderful to catch up with you. Congrats on the book. Thanks for spending some time with us today. My privilege, Brian. Thank you for what you're doing. We're praying for Chicago. And it's the end of the show. We always like to do something at the end of every show that will get you thinking, inspire you, or put a smile on your face. And one of the places that we've been going recently to put a smile on your face is a place called The Week, where they aggregate good news stories. There's so much bad news out there. We cover a lot of those uh, hard news stories, and we don't want to shy away from that. But we also just like to pause and breathe. Brian calls these palate cleansers. Uh We just want to share some good news with you. And um, (laughs) the first one I'm laughing at already, Brian, because it revolves around a kitten. And sometimes (laughs) cat news is good news for some people, but it's not good news for everybody. But here's here's one of the good news stories from the week. You ready for it, Brian? Mm -hmm. All right. A stray kitten inspires company 
to redesign its packaging for the better. A stray kitten in Ellington, Missouri, inspired a company to completely refigure its packaging, making it safer for animals and the planet. Laura Baker, founder of the Itty Bitty Kitty City Rescue oh, in Ellington, said that in February 2021, someone called to report a kitten with what appeared to be a plastic ring around its body. The plastic was digging into the skin of the growing animal and it needed help. Baker found the kitten and immediately took him to the vet where he underwent surgery to remove the ring. It was determined that the cat had become stuck in the packaging of the Munchkin brand's Any Angle Cup. Baker wanted to make Munchkin aware of what happened and sent a letter explaining the situation. Diana Barnes, chief brand officer and creative director of Munchkin, said it was soul-crushing to learn what happened to the kitten. And even though the company had just rebranded its products and packaging, they went back to the drawing board. The new packaging is made from 60 to 70% recycled material that is fully compostable. Keeping animals in mind, it's also easier to tear. Baker and her volunteers are in awe over everything that has transpired since Kitten, who was adopted by Baker and named Munchkin, entered their lives. What <laughs> other name would there be for Munchkin, Baker said? They could have named it Ring or something like that for the <laughs> thing that was stuck around it. Surgery. Uh, <laughs> Number two, high school football team helps rebuild Indiana Bridge destroyed in a storm. Without the help of a football team, several parents and a few Cub Scouts, Todd Hagen would still be stuck at home, unable to do to leave due to a destroyed wooden bridge. Hagen lives in Switzerland County, Indiana, and on September 3rd, flash flooding caused by heavy rains completely demolished the bridge, which is the only connection between his house and the main road. Mm. Everybody knows everybody around here, he said. And when his grandson's football coach, Ryan Jessup, learned about what happened, he started calling his players to see if they would help rebuild the bridge. About 30 people showed up that day ready to get to work. The outreach of the people was just mind-boggling, Hagen said. The crew worked efficiently removing and replacing the wooden planks of the 60-foot bridge in less than three Whoa. hours. Jessup estimates it would have taken Hagen a month to do the job on his own. Hagen, who wrote everyone who helped a thank you card and made a donation to the team, told the newspaper it was, quote, just amazing to see so many people come together, adding, I couldn't be more thankful. Wow. There you go. That's a great there story. See, this is why it's good news. I love that one. Love it. People coming together in the community. All right. Here's the next one. To honor Harriet Tubman, man takes incredible journey following in her footsteps. This summer, Ken Johnston made several stops along the Underground Railroad, walking more than 400 miles as a tribute to Harriet Tubman. The 61-year-old from West Philadelphia started what he called his Walk of Freedom in July, visiting the Harriet Tubman Memorial in Harlem. From there, he walked through the Hudson River Valley before crossing central New York and ending in Ontario, Canada. I was amazed, Johnson told NBC News, calling his walk an incredible journey. He visited several black communities and made new friends with one family inviting him to spend the night at their home. While in Auburn, New York, Johnston met Tubman's great, great grandniece, Judith Bryant, and paid his respects at Tubman's grave. This was his second Tubman-inspired trek. Three years ago, Johnston retraced the steps she took in 1854 while rescuing her brothers. Johnston plans to give his feet some rest before setting off on his next journey, walking more than a thousand miles along a slave trail that runs from Alexandria, Virginia to New Orleans. That's, That's cool. impressive. Yeah. Can I just ask you a question? At the very West beginning, you said, yeah, I know, I know. Did it, it, it's yes. all you wanted to do, right? All I wanted to do was start Come singing the it. Fresh Prince theme song. 
in West Philadelphia, born, born and, and raised. raised. <laughs> it was, I know, I know. And I even knew, I'm like, if Brian doesn't say something, I'm going to say something to Brian. So it's so... That's <laughs> so all I heard. But it just said West Philadelphia. I immediately started singing it in my head. It's in our cultural subconscious. <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now. Maybe someday you get me, but there's a handful. This should be a top five list. Top five uh, TV theme songs that you could sing beginning to end. Ooh. Uh, for that sure, Cheers is on that. Everybody uh, knows your name. You know which one is on there for me? Random. Uh, Gummy Bears. The old uh, <laughs> I feel like bouncing you, here and there and everywhere. I feel like you and I have done a Gummy Bears like duet on this show before. I think and that's we have. why we should be winning awards. It needs basically. to come back. Yep. All right. Number four. New York woman stuns even herself by becoming a triathlete. At 48 years old, Hillary Topper decided she was ready to get serious about fitness. In the 12 years since, she has gone from a self-described couch potato to an endurance athlete who's now training other triathletes. The Merrick, New York resident said she spent years focusing on building her business and raising her children and neglected her own needs mm. because of her family's health history. She knew it was important to start making changes before she hit her 50s. And she started off slow, going to the gym and walking on a treadmill. Soon she moved her walks outside to the boardwalk and ran her first half marathon with her husband in 2011. She caught the exercise bug, and after finishing the 2016 New York City Marathon, she set her sights on triathlons, which involve running, cycling, and swimming. She now trains between one to three hours every day and is also a coach. Topper wrote about her lifestyle change in a new book called From Couch Potato to Endurance Athlete. Wow. And told New York Newsday that she aims to, quote, show people that as much as they get pushed down, if they reach within themselves, they can pick themselves up and do amazing things. Okay, that's so inspiring. I think a lot of people can relate to this, that they put their, you know, raising their kids, neglecting your own needs. So that's a good one. Okay, this one's out of my hometown, Oklahoma City. Rare okay. oak copy calf born at Oklahoma City Zoo. I've been to that zoo many times. The population okay. of the Oklahoma City Zoo just got a little cuter. Last week, a rare and endangered okapi calf was born at the zoo to parents Kayan and Bosami. Okapis are found in the Democratic Republic of the Condo and known for their zebra-like markings. The first okapis arrived at the Oklahoma City Zoo in 1973, and this calf is the seventh born at the facility. We are overjoyed at the arrival of Kayan's first calf and welcoming this new generation to our okapi family. Tracy Dolphin, curator of Hoofstock and Primates, told Fox 23, Kyan is being a very attentive first-time mother and demonstrating exceptional maternal care. Her new calf is healthy and strong, and meeting his milestones include nursing and bonding with mom. The calf is expected to make his public debut soon. That is cute. Yeah, I like a good zoo story. Also, the curator of the hoofstock and primates at the zoo, her last name is Dolphin. I feel like she's in the wrong... Like, <laughs> she needs to be working on the do at the Dolphin show at the zoo, or obviously. Or changing her name. That or is true. changing her she, name. That's right. She, yes. All right. Funny. Well, there's that's some funny. good news for you. We hope those stories made you smile. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.